Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Perk Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Covan. It is 11.32 a.m. Eastern Time on December 19th in the year of our Lord, 2022. Folks, this is the last episode you'll hear from me before I have my shoulder surgically repaired. So hopefully the next thing you hear from me will be uh, me high on opioids. And uh, that should make for a fun, fun episode on Kwanzaa, also known as Boxing Day, also known as Christmas Day Observed this year. But uh, a lot to talk about today. And uh, just as a reminder to anybody who's a Patreon subscriber, um, the live chat will be this Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, which is going to be fun because that's one day after surgery and I'll be uh, most likely on the full dose of opioids at that point Uh, so that should be fun and hopefully relaxing for me and not too much shoulder pain excuse me so that's that and then shortly thereafter the final piece of patreon this year will be um my top 10 movies of the year now among the movies that will not be included in that will be babylon I, i i should say i can't guarantee it wouldn't be included i'm just saying it will not be under consideration because I will have not seen it yet. Now, there's a real conflict for me on Babylon because it's written and directed by Damien Chazelle, the wunderkind of uh, that brought us Whiplash, La La Land, and First Man. Now, for those of you who are newer fans of mine, or just typical fans of mine who don't um, who've been around for a long time but just don't watch, see, watch, listen, or buy anything I put out. His first three movies, he wrote Whiplash. That was my number two movie of, I forget what year it came out, 2014, maybe. That was my number two movie of that year. Uh, La La Land was, a, I believe, number six or nine. <laughs> uh, but honestly, it was either six or nine. I think it was six on my list of movies that year, uh, which I believe was 2016. And then First Man, which was completely disrespected by the Academy, um, I thought was an absolutely stunning and amazing film. And it was my number one movie the year it came out. Uh, so Damien Chazelle has a very good track record with me is my point. He's three for three in a big way. And in a diverse way. You know, you've got white people playing jazz. You've got white people dancing to jazz. And you've got um, white people going to space. So he's, he's crushed it three times, all jokes aside. Uh, all three were, were really outstanding movies. And his new movie is Babylon, which is three hours and I think five minutes. And it's one of those chaotic love letters to Hollywood. Blah. And the preview is irritates the shit out of me. It feels like Damien Chazelle has decided, okay, I've won a screenwriting Oscar. I've won a directing Oscar. I believe he won director for La La Land. That's pretty impressive before like fucking 33 to have a screen for two separate movies. It's not like he did that that one hit movie that he won everything for. I mean, that's his you know first two movies. He or Did he win screenplay? No, I'm sorry. He was nominated for screenplay for Whiplash, I think. He didn't win. But I believe he won best director. I think they did a split. Uh, Moonlight won Best Picture, and um, I believe Chazelle won Best Director, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Feel free to correct me in the comments on Podomatic, but whatever. The point is, 
he's racked up some impressive nominations early on. And my favorite movie of his is First Man. But that, uh, you know, the J.L. Jinx probably screwed that one over. But Babylon looks annoying. And it feels like he just said, okay, you've denied me my Oscars, like my Best Picture Oscar so far. So what if I just do one of these big Hollywood movies? Like it feels like a, a David O. Russell movie, who I'm not that big a fan of. Really, the only David O. Russell movie I really like is Silver Linings Playbook. But like American Hustle, I just thought was fine. But that got like 10 nominations. He just does these sort of actors like working with him because it's like, uh, just do whatever and uh, we'll have fun. You're talented. So, of course, actors are like, I love that. <laughs> but um, I want a Fincher or a Michael Mann up my fucking ass telling me to be perfect and like spitting in my face if I'm not. That's what I want in a movie. I want that level of maniacal, cancelable perfection. Not one of these, hey, guys, let's just have fun. You know, I'll let you be. Eh, shut up. Your movies are chaotic messes, in my opinion. But anyway, um, it looks Babylon has the feel of that. And obviously, David O. Russell's last movie was fucking Amsterdam, which got destroyed by critics and made no money, which made me happy because I was like, all right, start doing something different. But my issue on top of Babylon looking annoying and it being three hours of annoyance. And, and I, I, I'm going to see it because... Damien Chazelle has earned more than the benefit of the doubt. And the critics are liking it, but they can be wrong plenty of times. But it's the Margot Robbie always doing, like, her generic... The same way Sam Worthington, which we'll get to Avatar 2 shortly, but Sam Worthington is uh, an Australian actor, but in every movie he's in, he never gets to play an Australian. But he does always play an American from 1950s generic Brooklyn. Okay, I was walking down the street here... And I decided, hey, you blue people, what are you doing? I'm a Marine, okay? We got a problem. <laughs> and she does this very annoying kind of old-timey Brooklyn. I want to know, does anybody want to say may fight a snake? And then Brad Pitt goes, hell yeah! And I'm just rolling my eyes like, fuck this movie. <laughs> I'm just like, this. I hate this movie. The trailer has made me hate that movie already, so... Damien Chazelle's legacy is coming up against a trailer and a vibe and Margot Robbie's Amsterdam and Babylon and Harley Quinn. I'm Australian, but I'm doing a generic, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hanging on a stoop in 1950s Brooklyn. What do you say? What do you say? Uh, terrible. So I will see it, but it, I won't see it in time. Shockingly, on, on the under opiates and uh, healing my shoulder, my priority next week will not be going to the theater to see Babylon. If I'm feeling good, I'll go see it. But if I'm not feeling good, then I, I won't yet. And it won't meet the cutoff either way. Um, so that's just some, some housekeeping for you guys. Um, not that you care. This is just for the, the 104 subscribers and of you, the 28% that watch and listen to the King Kane. Uh, that was just for you. A special message for you guys. So thank you for being a friend. Um, a lot of stuff to talk about, guys. Lots. But yeah, shoulder surgery on on, uh, on Wednesday. So um, nerve, gen, you know, my general level of nervousness, but they were really cool at the same, the same place I had my knee surgery. They were very uh, pleasant, put me at ease, and, uh, you know, then I get a day off from work to watch content when I get home and do drugs. So that's okay. Um, today I began, a, a, I'm back on Noom. 
Uh, I'm already writing jokes about it. But my weight just got to a point where I was like, all right, you know, the discipline, you know, between the stress and the lack of sleep and the comedy, like the comedy, my comedy world collapsing around me. I've just been eating like junk. So yesterday I went to see Avatar 2 with the nephew. I ate a large popcorn, a bag of peanut M&Ms, a bottled water because hydration is important for health when you're downing 900 pounds of sodium-soaked popcorn and a bag of peanut M&Ms. And then uh, I had a sausage pizza for dinner, followed by a slice of Oreo Dream cheesecake, not afraid of killing myself with food. But it was sort of a fat Tuesday for me on a Sunday, because I break all the rules, people. And it was a fat Tuesday for me, and today is the first day of Fitness Lent, bro. That's right, bro. At my gym, we incorporate Catholic traditions <laughs> into our diet, bro. So make sure you get that protein-infused Eucharist, and make sure that holy water is alkaline, bro. And when you're done with that, you're going to fucking have ripped abs like Christ and muscles like Samson with his hair, okay? So the point is, today is the first day of real discipline. And according to Noom, my schedule right now, and I'll keep you guys updated as long as I'm doing this podcast, but because uh, I know you're going to want to hear this. I lost 60 pounds last year in six months. Well, the goal now is 65 pounds in seven and a half months. That's the new goal, which will put me at 229, which will be the lightest I've been since law school when I was just fucking ripped and making out with chicks that weren't my long-distance girlfriend because sometimes when you've cheated on your girlfriend on spring break, then all of a sudden being a make-out bandit in law school doesn't feel like a capital crime anymore. That's the thing they don't tell you about when you're getting your degree in infidelity, is that once you've crossed the Rubicon of actually having sex outside of your relationship, you can really talk yourself into being like, it's kind of like doing a like committing a murder and then going, uh, yeah, I'm also going to steal this candy bar because... I'm looking at a lot worse uh, than uh, petty theft right now. So, yeah, I'm going to steal this car and this candy bar. And, uh, you know, I might even sexually harass somebody at work because if they catch me for that, uh, that's not really my main problem. But the point is, I think my mentality in law school is like, all right, as long as I don't cheat, cheat, I'll probably wake up most mornings feeling okay with myself. I don't want to act like I was just doing that habitually. But, you know, the few slip-ups during law school were really easier to deal with because it was spring break 2001, which is a bit featured on Half Blackface. So look forward to that in 2027, folks. Is, uh, you know, it's like, it's the same joke I have about confession. You know, when, you're, when you go to your first confession, you're like, I have cursed once and been disrespectful to my parents. Okay, kids, say two Hail Marys and God will forgive you. Then all of a sudden, you know, you're in college, you're like, um, I banged a chick and cursed a lot and watched a ton of porn. Did you disrespect your parents? Do you really give a shit if I disrespect my parents? But those don't feel like sins anymore. I've, I've elevated my sin game. <laughs> so I'm not really concerned about, I gave a snide look to my mother when she asked me if I was, if I was doing okay in college. Uh, you don't think about that. And then, you know, you get to a certain age where you're like, I murdered six people, um, had a, had an orgy with some prostitutes and did heroin. 
But did you use foul language as well? Do you really fucking care, Father? Did you hear what I just confessed to? I'm going to need the Lord to step up his forgiveness game because we're dealing in some grade A felonious sin. Okay? The cussing and the honoring thy father and thy mother. Really? Did you hear what I said, Padre? Okay. That'll be nine million our fathers and turn yourself into the cops. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. And God absolves you of your sins. Okay. And just a question. Was the turning myself into the cops optional? No? Hmm. All right. I'm going to have to do a little bit of a layaway plan then on God's forgiveness. Remind me to holler at you on my deathbed. Amen. Anyway, guys, that was kind of the mentality going through my head during law school. Um, why did I bring that up? I tend to, I think I use you guys as more of like a psych, a psych session slash confessional. I just start spitting out things that I can't remember why I brought them up. But the point is, um, I don't know why I brought them up. Nobody gives a shit. Anybody listening out there? Okay. Well, hmm. Lots of stuff to review. Oh yeah. I was talking about losing weight. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes, I'm talking about losing weight. And the last time I was 229 was in law school um, where, you know, I was I was I was putting my brain to work and my abs to work, bro. So the uh, the point is July end of July is now our target date with Noom. Um, and the joke I wrote about Newman is I was like, they want you, you're like, you're part of a team. They put you in these like small groups. Who knows if they're real or not? But it's like, you know, what are your goals? And you're like, to lose weight and to feel better about myself, send. And I'm like, I don't need this group. Some some chubby chick in Nebraska who's trying to lose the baby weight. I need her knowing what's going on in my psyche about weight loss. So I start to write things in there that are like, to forgive myself for all the murders I've committed. <laughs> Just to see if there's some woman, if Deborah in Iowa is like, I like Noom. It's part of a community. Let's see what JL in, in New Jersey's doing. And maybe he can motivate me to stick to my goals. JL today says he wants to lose weight and stay committed so that the empty vacuum of his soul will stop eating at him for all the terrible life choices he's made. Well, JL seems quite concerning, and that's why I don't live on the East Coast in those blue states, because here in Iowa, we're the children of the corn, and that's preferable to the dark souls that inhabit New Jersey, like JL. Thanks, Noom. (laughs) No, I don't do that, but that's the joke. The joke is that I will be posting, like, Noom updates that are, like, terrifying like why do you want to lose weight after i had my third child my husband started fucking his secretary and i want to get fit and have sex with my bro my my husband's brother that'll show him thanks noom uh anyway guys uh, weight loss journey segment over now we move on to world cup uh incredible world cup um, you know, anytime you're not involving America's team in men's soccer, you're guaranteed to have a decent game. And uh, it was fucking amazing. Uh, Argentina just seems super, they just have that vibe of super racist. They're all like, 
European looking, but they speak Spanish and uh, there's not a, there's, there's like, I would be, I feel like I would rank as a darker member of the Argentinian fan base and that's winter jail. We're not talking summer jail where they'd be like thinking I was Qatari. Um, and that's why I hate that people say cutter because you don't say cuttery. Qatar, Qatari, it fits. End of discussion. Um, but then, uh, you know, then you find I, I always knew Argentina was like a safe haven for for like fleeing Nazis. But I didn't realize they'd gone full MAGA. When you look at their crowd, you're like, where is anybody of melanin in there? Meanwhile, France is like looking like a jazz like a like the jazz scene in the 40s where everybody every black artist was fleeing america to settle in paris the, the rich diversity on on uh on france's team but i was rooting for messi who basically looks like a muscular hairy child and uh he won but that guy mbappe which i think is who hansen based their song after even though isn't that crazy mbapp is older than mbappe Mbappe is 23, even though he looks he looks about 34 in the face. Um, and Mbapp is Mbapp 1995 or 97, 96. It's between 95 and 97. I think it's 97. So Mbapp is 25 years old and Mbappe is 23. This has been JL's version of David Letterman introducing Uma Thurman to Oprah Winfrey at the Oscars. One of the most notoriously unfunny moments in Oscar history. Not afraid of getting into cinematic, cinematic minutia to make a point. Thank you, Ron Reagan Jr., as always, for your contributions. Guys, I don't know if you know this. I have a Patreon page. Anyway, moving on from news you don't give a shit about. Cameos. This is the week to order them if you're into that sort of thing. If you're into sort of comedic genius on display becoming a family heirloom cameo.com slash jl covan for your hanukkah christmas kwanzaa end of year gift nothing quite says i didn't know what to get you but this asshole's pretty fucking funny than a cameo from jl so shows guys i don't know if you know this i'm a stand-up comedian and i sometimes do live shows when clubs return my emails well the farewell tour has begun and uh it beginneth. Um, I was in Mamaroneck uh, this weekend, and a few fans showed up. Didn't get to meet any of them because of the nature of the theater, um, but it was a fun show. I was good. I don't think I was great, but I did have some really great bits start to really develop. Um, I'm very excited for this this taping in March March 31st, April 1st. Ticket link should be available soon, but it is locked in and confirmed. Friday, March 31st, Saturday, April 1st, 9.30 p.m. shows both nights. Triad Theater, New York City. Going to be independently producing this one because I don't know if you guys have been following, but I had a little bit of a kerfuffle with my last special, Half Blackface. Um, there have been some tech issues and also some uh, emotional breakdowns and some suicidal thoughts related to it. So I said, you know what, JL? Let's learn from our mistakes. Let's self-produce this next one. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're going to self-produce The Hateful Eighth. I don't know what it will be called. The that's just the name of the show because it's my eighth stand-up hour, and um, but it will be a fun uh, night of merriment and mirth, and some real good comedy, and uh, you know then we can ride off into the sunset with this thing we call a comedy career. July, you know June second, twenty twenty-three. That's the twentieth anniversary. So I will have pumped out eight stand-up hours, two Trump albums, and a partridge in a pear tree in 20 years so 
I'm proud of my output. Nobody cares. And by the way, if you want my albums, good luck finding them because they're not on any streaming services because God hates my comedy. Not afraid of not being an atheist when it comes to my comedy. I think my comedy career would make Ron Reagan a believer. And then I saw Jail's career. Bum, 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 bum. Now I'm a believer. Bum, 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 bum. His career sucks. Bum, bum, bum. He's really fucked. Do you think there's no God? Then why is his career so fucking fucked? I don't understand it. And then I saw his face. Anyway, guys, I'm a believer. Ron Reagan Jr. Hit song. Catch it on Spotify if they haven't taken it off already because it's affiliated with me. But we will January. One of my tasks for January today, by the way, exciting day. I might take Cookie for a long walk to Staples with the righteous girlfriend because I'm not a fucking douche that walks into stores with dogs. I don't act like I own the place, even though I'm big and scary and I could. I'm a be- I'm a benevolent monster. I wield my power with compassion and sensitivity. Even though I could walk in there with Cookie and be like, what the fuck are you going to do about Staples, bitch? But I don't, because I believe in rules. I believe in rule of law. I believe in courtesy. And I believe in kindness. And if you don't, fuck you. I hope you get hit by a train. Anyway, guys, that was Jail's Kindness Corner. But um, I have shows coming up. Because uh, once upon a time, I was a stand-up comedian. And this is sort of a tribute to those magical years when I was uh, deluding myself into thinking I could be something in this business. Well, guys, Mimarinek was fun. It's a lovely little town. I think some of the people enjoyed my set. I read a lot in my YouTube Bono memoir. Um, so it was a real fun day. I, I, I ate a chocolate chip cookie from Zaro's. I treated myself. Okay, no more of those. No more of those for the next seven months to 17 years or however long I'm on this earth because I'm about to get ripped, folks. And if you thought JL was an arrogant, vicious, mean-spirited person before, once I get these abs back, it's be- we're basically going Patrick Bateman of comedy. We're not, we're not hiding back. I'm going to be just out there flexing my abs, having sex with hookers from behind, staring at myself in the mirror, tipping them with, with, with hard copies of my albums because they're not digitally available. It's going to be a whole new, new year, new psychotic me. But anyway, guys, I am a comedian. I have shows coming up. Manaranek was fun. Now it's Belmore, Long Island, the brokerage. I will be there January 6th and 7th. It will be a fun night. Maybe even two fun nights. I'm only, I'm only promising one good show, but hey, weirder things have happened and it might be two good shows. So that is uh, January 6th and 7th. January 19th, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Or as my man Carlos, this is for all the people who are on Patreon who saw my video. My man Carlos, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He, um, he, uh, I will be um, at the Pittsburgh Improv. And then I was trying to string together shows after that failure, so I will be taking multiple days off from work just to do one show. So it'd be great if I sold a lot of tickets to that show so I don't cry for nine hours on the train ride back home going, what am I doing with my life? Why did I just spend all my vacation time going to Pittsburgh for a one-show deal? So the more people that show up, the better I'll feel, the more you'll laugh, and uh, you will have given me uh, the the desire to live another day. Um, February... Uh, February is, uh, what day in February do I have a show? 
Oh, I'm working on some DC area shows for the weekend of the 4th through the 6th. Um, so look out for those if you're, you know, I, I have strong representation in the DMV area. So that's one of the few places in the country that I don't badmouth. So I should be in the DMV area between the 4th and the 6th or the 5th and the 6th on, oh wait, what am I, I'm saying, no, I'm sorry, 3rd to the 5th. I'm looking at 2022's calendar. That's 2023 we're talking about. Not afraid of giving you the wrong dates and then wondering why nobody showed up to my shows. JL, the good news is 150 people showed up on February 4th. The bad news is you don't have shows then, you fucking idiot. Anyway, guys, like I was saying, February 3rd to the 5th. Because February 7th, Chicago people. Please, for God's sakes, when the ticket link goes up this week. Oh, my do I need people to buy tickets? Now, I'm co-headlining with the very funny Kevin McCaffrey, who's a Chicago native, but like, I'm not going to lie here. We got to get over 200 tickets sold. Not for any benchmark, because it's a fucking Tuesday. They gave us an off night. They're just, we're just hoping to have a good night, but it's a big room. It's a big trip. I need a decently sized paycheck, and I will deliver the goods because I will be in full special prep mode. So it's going to be a tight 50 minutes from me prepping for, for, for the hateful eighth. And... uh yeah, so uh, that's that's Tuesday, February 7th at City Winery in Chicago proper, not the suburbs. So hopefully uh, lots of you come and spread the word to your friends and family and strangers you meet on the street that there's going to be a hell of a show at City Winery on February 7th. And then March 3rd, speaking of City, City Winery, uh, Chicago, no, I just talked about that one, Boston, March 3rd, Friday, City Winery, my third time there. It's one of the few venues in america that's like yeah oh jl he's funny and he does well here everybody else is like who or fuck him or not again uh or hashtag never forget whatever whatever negative way venues can think of me city winery in boston is not one of them so hopefully that works out and i should actually talk to city winery in philadelphia because helium isn't replying to my emails it's almost like helium destroying my special and then making me sad has made me problematic to the Helium brand. So isn't that a, a lovely silver lining to having your special destroyed? It's also fractured a relationship with a club that you really loved performing at. JL special, not afraid of scorching the earth. So, you know, that's another reason why you don't, you don't shit where you eat. You don't mix business and pleasure and you don't work with a label that does your album that also owns a comedy club that you like performing at because if one goes south it might just make you seem toxic even if it's completely not your fault I don't, i'm just speculating here but it is weird that i haven't gotten a reply to my email in like six months from a comedy club chain i've been working since 2011 but who knows guys it could be totally coincidental not afraid of bullshitting so those are the shows coming up. I hope you've marked your calendars. I'm very excited for all of them, but I'm really excited at a potential future without comedy because um, it feels like freedom. It feels it, – it's, it's, it must be how Nick Cannon feels when he gets – that rare occasion when he gets to have sex without a condom. It must feel that freeing, and that's how I feel at the mere thought of not doing comedy. If the Lord wants to really punish me, though, he would. what he would do is say, <laughs> no, no, JL, just when you thought you were done with the biblical test known as your comedy, um, 
your special just sold to HBO. Looks like you're going to have to go on tour for the next decade. (laughs) And then it's just me constantly dealing with stupid people and staying on social media and going, this is not, uh, this is not what I wanted. I just wanted some money and to create and to have good fans and to, and to live a peaceful life. And now you've turned me into comedy's John Wick. So, um, yeah, shows guys, fun times. Uh, so we did that. We've discussed briefly the World Cup. I made a checklist because I'm getting old, people, and I'm checking it twice, figuring out who's naughty and nice. JL's having early onset. He knows when he is talking, but he forgets what he says. He just knows that he's full of hate, so he's fucking pissed off and dead. Oh, this is morbid, because he is JL. He is afraid of going to hell, because he's not Ron Reagan Jr. Anyway, guys, didn't write that down, but you know what? Sometimes you just have a gift for freestyle and manic depressive behavior. So we've talked about the World Cup. Do you really want it? Boom, boom. That's the Ricky Martin Cup of Life song, which is my favorite World Cup song. We've talked about the special, we've talked about Patreon content, we've talked about cameos, we've talked about shows. So with all that fun housekeeping out of the way, let's talk about Cecily Strong, who at this point in my life should have probably, no offense to the righteous girlfriend, I probably should be married to Cecily Strong, but that didn't work out. But she is, as as Rod the Black Eye Tip said to me online, he said, JL, you definitely have a type. And I said, a type? She's beige, tall, talented, and disrespected. My type is me. And she's gone from SNL. And I think, I, I think, and I know this sounds probably like me quitting comedy, but I think I'm done with SNL too. Um, I think the writers are lazy. I also think somebody on the writing staff is a fan of making podcasts great again. I genu- or my videos. I genuinely believe that. I could be wrong, but uh, I'll never get the credit for sort of staking out the territory that now James Austin Johnson is more known for. Like the, ran- the stream of consciousness, the random shifting of thoughts – that was my thing for about six months before James Austin Johnson even put out his first uh, video. And when I say for six months, I just mean six months publicly in videos that people were seeing. But I had been doing that on the Miking Podcast, Great Again Podcast for, for far, far longer than that. Um, so, you know, once again, I, it's, it's the blackest I've ever felt, to be honest. I feel like a, I feel like a jazz artist watching some, some white person become uber famous for basically doing what I've been doing for a while. Um, so, you know, even though I hate jazz music, I feel very, uh, in touch with the jazz community right now. Um, so as a jazz American, um, please respect my truth. Um, I'm not blaming James Austin Johnson, though. I think he's funny. He leans a little to it. We do it. Excuse me. Excuse me. He leans in. I'm talking like almost like Popeye. Like, Ada, excuse me. We love Popeye. Remember the spinach? Do you remember this? I'm talking. I, I lean into the growl. I lean into the southern rally growl, and I talk out of the side of my mouth. But then again, when name is Shay, I get very quiet. Excuse me. I get very and so I like his. And I'm not accusing him individually of, of any kind of theft or, or shit like that. He does his thing, but there's just been so many. There's been things over the years that I've just been like, I think that per, I think whoever writes for so for like Seth Meyers or for 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 SNL, I think there's somebody there who who knows what I do. And in a way, somebody would say, oh, well, that's a compliment. Is it? Is it a compliment to just have your art stolen, potentially, and, and, and like, 
I know in my heart that I'm really good. You think? I do. But that's not why we do this for as a business. I don't do it for moral victories and uh, chicken soup for the soul. I do it because I want to have a career in it as well. But anyway, good for James Austin Johnson, good for SNL. But they lost their most talented cast member, in my opinion. And the debate, of course, online was becoming one of these Kristen Wiig... You know, well, Cecily Strong is really good in her role, but she's no Kristen Wiig or Kate McKinnon. I was like, right, she's more attractive and, in my opinion, more consistently uh, delivers results. Kristen Wiig kind of delivered eight variations of, of Asperger's awkward chick, and it was good. It was good what she did, but I, I found her overused and overrated. I, you know, I felt like at some point she was kind of the front woman for the show, and I'm like, you know you have Bill Hader there, who's probably a top five cast member ever. So you, you might want to pay some attention to Bill Hader. And then you have Kate McKinnon, who was great. But it, same problem to me, which is like, well, I don't need her in 11 out of 11 sketches. Like, you're le you know, it became a thing where she's talented. And it was like, well, let's just keep going to her. And it was like, yeah, but, uh, you know, I thought her Rudy Giuliani was funny. But then they were like, let's do more of that. And then it was like, well, her creepy Jeff Sessions is just creepy. It's not particularly funny. It's not particularly accurate. But now you're just leaning into her the whole way. Um, comedically, uh, she should be disqualified for her Hillary Clinton Hallelujah performance. That wasn't funny. Um, and I just think I, I was always of the opinion that Kate McKinnon was really good, but but that people get you, you know she was getting all the reps and all the all the reputation, and then people were like, well, she's oh she I, somebody called her the goat, um, and I was like, absolutely not. Have you heard of Eddie Murphy, Phil Hartman, Will Ferrell, Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, Bill Hader? She's not that, I mean, I know those are all men, but, you know, she was really good. But this is a show that got Emmy nominations for, for, for A.D. Bryant and Bowen Yang, multiple Emmy nominations. Are you kidding me? Like, who's, that just shows, like, whoever they're promoting, whoever they're pushing, it's like, you, you really, Cecily Strong, all she did, and I compared her to Phil Hartman, which some people took uh, as, a, as a sort of, oh, you think she's on the level of Phil Hartman? It wasn't that, I think, in terms of her talent. Phil Hartman was sort of equally devastating and, and high quality as a impressionist, as a character guy, and as a straight man in sketches. I still just love watching his reaction to Dana Carvey in the Chop and Broccoli sketch because he's just like all in as like, you know, just sort of dumb record producer, even though the sketch isn't really about him. And Cecily Strong, I think, was so good as an impersonator. At least the ones she did were just always so good. Her Carrie Lake, her Judge Janine, like she really funny. She had really good original characters, which the show has basically like departed from. Uh, other than Heidi, uh, Heidi Gardner, who I enjoy, but but she's not getting. They're they're making her like I feel like the writers are like have a hard on for Chloe Fineman and James Austin Johnson because they seem to have gone away from anybody else who does like original stuff. And or impressions, and they wasted the talent of Melissa Villasenor, um, and they're, they they in my opinion wasted an A-list level person in Cecily Strong by making her like a valued B-list member. Obviously, I think the show appreciated her, the cast appreciated her talent and her contributions because it was a very emotional farewell. But I never felt like she got the level of credit or shine that she clearly deserved. Um, and for me, it's sort of like I was a huge Alex Moffat fan. He he got bounced. Uh, I'm a, I was a huge Cecily Strong fan. She's now gone. 
to me, the show is basically like what impressions can Chloe Feynman and James Austin Johnson do? Um, can can we get Andrew Desmuke in like a bunch of sketches as just sort of st- fucking Lorne Michaels' new favorite, like Pete Davidson young guy? Um, I think the Latin dude, the young Latin dude is the only, is the guy I look at as somebody who I think has real potential, like real energy and potential. So mark my words, I, I don't even know his name, but you know, because Saturday Night Live is such a diverse uh, tapestry, um, he's the Latin dude. Uh, <laughs> I'll look up his name out of respect, but I think it's, I, it's, it sort of speaks volumes that I'm like, you know who I'm talking about, the, 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 like one of their five Latin dudes in the history of the show him <laughs> um or whatever it is uh but they lean in it's like bowen yang who to me is fairly one-dimensional my favorite thing he's ever done by a mile is fran Lebowitz, and i say that not as shit i thought it was fucking hysterical but most of his stuff i'm not a fan of at all um but the i mean we're left with like heidi heidi like uh chloe Feynman, the james austin johnson show with like the occasional cameo from Heidi Gardner, who was getting a lot more work. Like I don't know if writers switched because it was like Alex Moffat and Heidi Gardner were getting a lot of work and they were really good. And then James Austin Johnson came on and Chloe Feynman was on the come up. And I feel like the writers either changed or decided that those were the people they wanted to feature more, which is fine. It's not like they're not talented. But why pull back from two people who've demonstrated real, real quality? Um, as I sound like a fucking World Cup announcer, the great pace from Heidi Gardner on that impression and the quality from Alex Moffat. Real quality impression there. Great character work. Um, so I don't, like, I look at that show now and I'm just like, I, don't, I genuinely don't think I'm going to watch anymore. And I know that sounds, but I'm, it's time to like break the habit because I really don't enjoy the show very much. I think how many times can we fucking open a show with a lazy game show? We get it. Tom Hanks in Black Jeopardy is an iconic sketch. That was six years ago featuring one of the all-time great level hosts of SNL. That's like the, one of the, other than the first Chappelle episode, which was like only a few weeks after the Tom Hanks episode, other than other than those episodes, I feel like, do the writers just not do, like the laziness and the formulaic nature of the writing and sketch selection right now is appalling. And I'm not saying this as a hater. Like, I'm saying, like, as somebody who's watched the show a lot, you start to go, you're leaning into the same people. You 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 had, I think, anchor-level talent in an Alex Moffat or a Cecily Strong or, a, you know, a great impersonator like Melissa Villasenor. You, you, for whatever reason, whether it's personalities or writing styles or, or whatever, not, not getting those people work. And you now have a bunch of, like, second tier and third tier cast members and i mean that as like every cast needs those people but we you don't you're you're now missing i think the superstar talents and it's like not worth watching anymore and i i know people can say oh this episode sucks i do that plenty too but i mean this in a real like low point for the show in terms of talent recruitment writing it's it's really bad um, I think this would be the time for, you know, a Mad TV or an In Living Color reboot to, to make a, a deep effort at, 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 at making a comeback and challenging SNL. SNL to me is like a fat, old, wounded lion where it's like the time to take over the pride is now. Um, 
that's my analysis of SNL. But uh, really, that's born out of just uh, real disappointment that Cecily Strong is going because it just feels like she never she was always so good when they used her, but she never got that McKinnon wig level opportunity to be like a breakout star. And and to me, I think when I see A.D. Bryant and Bowen Yang getting Emmy nominations for like supporting actors in a comedy, get it, come on. You know, and that's that's my proof. A.D. Bryant was used so much more than Cecily Strong. And she was very one note to me. And I, I don't get it. I just don't get, you know, obviously somebody like me would, would have loved to have been on SNL. But then I wonder... You know, would I have been Melissa Villasenored or, or Cecily Stronged? Um, and by, by verbs, I mean, would I have had sex with both of them? Um, or, or been treated like them by the cast? I'm just kidding, guys, obviously. Um, but I probably would have. And then you'd be listening to this podcast going, Jail's going to get fired from SNL. He just called Lauren Michaels a fucking Canadian bitch. <laughs> I don't think that's going to go over well with the, with the show. But it's great podcasting, JL. Uh, cool. Join my Patreon so that when I lose my job on SNL, I can support myself. Oh, no, absolutely not, JL. What kind of fan do you think I am? Anyway, moving on, guys. Passive aggressive. Cross it off the list. Cecily Strong section done. Oh, we've seen a lot of movies and content recently, guys. So just imagine how much fun I'll be on opioids the next two weeks if this is me just on straight green tea, brother. Um, okay. So I saw three movies this weekend. Emancipation with, uh, with Will Smith on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, the Banshees of Inishirin, uh with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson on HBO Max. And then I went to the theater with my nephew on Sunday to watch Avatar The Way of the Water. Or The Way of Water? I don't know. Something to do with water. I've also made it through seven episodes of Andor and began the show on Hulu called Reboot because I heard it was funny and it's from the creator of Modern Family and it has some solid people in the cast. So I watched two episodes of that. So let's bang all these reviews out and let you get on with the rest of your week. Hashtag prayers for jail surgery. So, emancipation. First, the good things. Apple cameras are amazing. I could watch anything on Apple TV Plus, basically, because I, I'm assuming they mandate the usage of Apple proprietary technology. And boy, does their shit look good. And, and Emancipation is a visually beautiful movie in terms of it's black and white for the most part. But it's just they're operating on a higher HD level is what I'm saying. So that's the good part of the movie. The bad part is I don't think it's very good. I think it was simplistic. I felt like it was like... A dummy's guide to 12 years a slave and glory that's what it the vibe i got which was like did you like 12 years a slave and glory but did you wish it wasn't so darn boring and historical well here's will smith talking like rudy gobert looking like he's in complete pain for two hours doing acting and there will be violence and Ben Foster will be a very mean slave catcher. And it will be gruesome and violent and jarring. And overall, if you're somebody who wants more bang for your buck in your slave movie, here it is. Emancipation for your consideration. If they thought this, before Will Smith, the best thing Will Smith slapped 
could have done is give Antoine Fuqua, the director of this, an excuse for why he didn't get nominated. Like, it's the same thing as Birth of a Nation, the Nate, Nate Parker movie. He was embroiled in a major sex, sex assault scandal that had resurfaced when he was getting undeserved standing ovations at Cannes Film Festival because white people were in a desperate need to seem woke. And, and I use that word not as a conservative mocking it, but mocking liberals who were virtue signaling. They, I remember when at the, I think it was at Cannes or Sundance, one of the, not Cannes, it was definitely an American one. I think it was Sundance. They were like, Nate Parker received a standing ovation before the movie started. And I go, well, why? Because he's a black dude making a movie about black people. That, that got a standing ovation from this indie film crowd. I gave the movie a B minus when I saw it. So I said, it's not terrible, but good Lord, they thought this was going to be an Oscar nominee? No, 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 no. So it's easy to blame it on like, well, the controversy is why it, the movie fizzled. I saw it and was just like, it was fine. But it wasn't, it wasn't a great movie at all. And that to me, I, 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 when I read that it got a standing ovation beforehand, just like they gave Blonde a standing ovation at some film festival because Anna de Armas got railed for three hours. It was like amazing, powerful work, amazing power. It's an okay, it's like, okay. It's like, the movie was better than I expected, and her performance was not as awe-inspiring as the critics. And I, I, like I said on this podcast, I think it was because they were like, um, we just basically watched a bunch of dudes in Hollywood get away with fucking groping and making out and pounding Ana de Armas, who, let's be honest, we'd all like to do it. Even the gay film critics would fuck her. But um, it wasn't that good a movie. So how do we feel like we didn't just watch a snuff film but not lose all of our integrity. I know we're going to call this the Diarmas compromise. She was breathtaking and powerful. The movie sucked. Now we've saved her integrity while not selling out all of ours by pretending this snuff film was super good. Anywho, not afraid of validating softcore pornography. So Emancipation gave me those kind of where it was like you thought this was going to like you thought Will Smith's slap was the only thing standing between you and Oscar nominations. Nah, no, nah, not at all. This is a slave movie that when I was 14, just being exposed to like decent movies, I'd be like, did you see Emancipation? That's an amazing movie. It's like violent and creepy and Will Smith cries a lot. and He's in a lot of pain emotionally and physically. Amazing my favorite movie of the year because I'm 14 but I have substance my top three movies are Emancipation Spider-Man Multiverse Shitbag and uh, Encanto those are my top three because I'm somebody with taste in film I'm 14 year old JL not afraid of making reference to Ron Reagan Jr. even though those commercials don't exist so that's my review of Emancipation on Apple TV+. Plus. Next, Banshees of Inishirin. Now This is by Martin McDonough, who's a playwright. He also wrote uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, I believe, which I did enjoy tremendously because given my upbringing, I always enjoy hearing a foul-mouthed matriarch take no shit. Um, so... Martin McDonough writes movies like a playwright writes plays. So Banshees of Inishirin really felt very much like a play adaptation. That said, I enjoyed it. I thought Colin Farrell, 
who has just continued to grow as an actor um, from his young sort of heartthrob, poor man's Johnny Depp days to, to where he is now. I think he's really good in this. Re- funny. And, and, and the movie could have also been called, instead of Dumb and Dumber, it could be called Dumb and Glummer. Because he's dumb and Brendan Gleeson is very glum. So Dumb and Glummer is my little pun. But uh, I enjoyed it, but then it... It's just one of those things that if this were if this were a theatrical production, it would make more sense because it it has the vibe and storytelling and plot twist, not of like a a realistic movie, but more of like what happens in the theater. So it felt this felt like a Tony Award winning play made into a solid movie. Um, I was I enjoyed most of it, but it takes a dark turn, but also but 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 a dark turn that just felt more theatric than cinematic but i would give that a thumbs up um i halfway on despite despite being half irish there were a few lines where i was just like okay i'm going subtitles here just because uh fucking you go you say you soak a kettle and you got the the spoot i'm that's scottish obviously but it was like what did he say oh kettle and spout okay anyway uh thumbs up for that thumbs down for emancipation now we get to the big dog avatar 2 the way of water um this is a long movie. It's three hours and um, five days long. Um, now, I rewatched Avatar recently. And contrary, as I think I said last week, with every person being like, oh, the script is not great. Like, I'll admit the visuals, like, uh, but the script, I, I'm very discerning. And the script of Avatar is really not that good. But, like, the effects, of course, the effects are amazing. He deserves all the credit for that. Oh, cool guy on the internet. You're giving James Cameron credit. Wow. Wow, what would he do without that? Um, James Cameron, all James Cameron does is drop mega hits. And Avatar 2 is going to be a mega hit. And it is visually, you're watching it going, it's so high def. It's practically Jermaine Dupree, so, so deaf. And... It's so high def that I was like, okay, so like we have 4K on our TV. Some of us have 8K. This is like 64K where you're watching it going. I I feel like I'm like when I first walked into a Best Buy and they had all their plasma TVs and I just had a fat square TV at home. And I was like, this looks like fake. Like, what the fuck is this? This is so clear on some weird different level that I've never seen. Oh, my God. These TVs are amazing. That's how I felt watching this movie. Like it was like this is like so clear. It's crazy, but at the same time, there were moments where I was like, this is an amazing achievement in movie making. Simultaneously, I also feel like, is this the best PlayStation 27 video game from the year 2050? Because there were moments where Avatar had a lot of human digital interaction. Whereas this has a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that felt like 100% digital. And it's super crystal clear and impressive, but sometimes I was just like, well, are there is like there was somebody who wrote an article, and I think they may have meant it in a snarky way, but I I thought of it in a genuine. Way. I was like, is this bordering on like an animated movie? And I don't mean that as a slight, but there were there were chunks of the movie where I was like, I mean, this was all done on a computer, just like a Pixar movie. It feels like I mean, but obviously there's more to this clearly than just computer generated images for an animated film. But what I will say is. I was impressed. Overall, I enjoyed it. I think they could have trimmed 20 minutes from the first hour and like 10 minutes to 15 minutes from the from the third hour. And then you're talking about like a two hour and 30 minute 
mega action sci-fi spectacle. So I think the critiques of it being too long are valid without being a hater. Um, but I enjoyed it, and I'm actually seeing it again because the Righteous GF didn't want to see it on the mere Cinemark big screen 3D that I took my nephew to yesterday. She wanted it on the full official five-story 3D IMAX in the West 60s in Manhattan where I saw the aforementioned First Man in IMAX. Great movie. And uh, so we're, I'm going to see it again in the fullest form of IMAX possible. So I'm looking forward to that just for the visuals, but I won't hesitate to take a water pee or text breaks during it since I've now seen the full movie, um, if I so need it. But, uh, but that should be fun. Um, but Avatar 2, uh, I give it a thumbs up as well. Um, I'm, I like Banshees and Avatar 2, but I'm not like, I, I didn't love either movie, but Emancipation I thought was, uh, you know, a good looking, not very good movie. Um, and then TV, Andor finished episode seven, which was like, I finally feel like we're really moving now. Um, it is definitely the most adult of the Disney series, Star Wars series, which I appreciate. But um, there's a little bit of Disney fatigue. It's nothing compared to fucking Marvel fatigue. But there's a little Disney fatigue on my part. But I'm going to see it through because I like the tone of the show. And I've heard that it really finishes with a, with a flourish and is, uh, is just a very strong overall series. So I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I'm not like, oh, my God, this is like, like it's good. It's good. It's fine. It's worth finishing. But, you know, I think I'm just sort of, you know, I liked Obi-Wan. It was pleasant enough. It had some cool moments. I don't think it was great, but I did like Obi-Wan. I didn't finish Boba Fett because I thought that was genuinely a steaming pile of bantha poodoo, if I can use some Star Wars language. How about that, guys? Know thy enemy. You've got to know how to talk to the Star Wars geeks if you want to defeat them. Not afraid of applying the art of war to streaming content. Um, and then we get to Hulu's reboot, which we watched two um, episodes. Reboot sounds like a Canadian saying reboot. Um, <laughs> uh, I watched two episodes. I'm enjoy I, it was good enough. I needed, I just wanted like a half hour laugh. I wanted like some kind of quality new comedy. And it just feels like streaming is like, Here's five serious movies, 19 serious series, four serious documentaries, and one comedy that you have to search for. So I'm watching Reboot, and there's a woman on the show. She's playing a character named Timberly, which I find very funny. <laughs> uh, and this woman is an 11 out of 10. Um... It's, uh, yeah, she is, it's like, this, this show could suck, and I would, I would finish the eight episodes just to see what's going on with Timberly. But uh, Timberly is, uh, is quite fetching. And then you're like, damn, and this woman actually is like doing some funny comedic acting as well. Oh, boy. That's the rare package, an 11 with, like, talent. Oof. But, yeah, Timberly. I hope, uh, you know, maybe if my special sells to, uh, you know, I want to prioritize my special going to Hulu now and be like, um, and if I could just be at the same table at the Hulu holiday party as the woman who plays Timberly. Oh, do you know her real name? No, I don't respect her enough to look up her real name, but I know she plays Timberly. Um, 
So if you could just put me at the, just put our character name. I'm playing myself in my stand-up special, so it'll be easy for me. But if you could just put her real name in parentheses under Timberly, so I know who I'm talking to, that'd be awesome. Thank you. Um, and could you, if 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 my if the righteous girlfriend shows up to the party um, and claiming to be my plus one, could you inform her that the Hulu holiday party no longer has a plus one system? That there have been cutbacks to content and plus ones. That would I'd appreciate. Here's a five dollar tip for you. Thank you. What's that? Oh, uh, somebody gave you a hundred dollar tip for the same thing. Okay, well, um, I have one special on Hulu, so you get five dollars from me. If I get a second special. I will give you the remaining $95 at next year's holiday party. Thank you very much, sir. Um, oh, you're a ma'am? I'm sorry, you looked very tough. I know, women can be security guards as well. Oh, you're not a what? You're non-binary? Okay, well, they, I thank they. I thank they for helping moi, which is French for me. So, um, end scene. That is called JL and Timberly. Um, and then I, if she likes my Don Jr. voice, I can just call her Timberly. <laughs> So that's that. We did everything. Um, uh, I got the contract. I'm gonna look it over today. Got my contract for the special. So um, we're we're right on schedule to do something in January of 2023. So it's been a long journey. By the time this thing is fully finished, the and I'm not exaggerating, the Iran hostage crisis of 1979 to 1980 uh, or 81, 81. The hostage crisis of uh, 79 to 81 will have lasted a shorter amount of time between the making and uh, release of Half Blackface, if we count it from the October 23rd recording date uh, in 2021. So that's uh, it's a little bit of history for you guys. Half Blackface, the greatest struggle in stand-up comedy history. How about that? I always knew I'd be part of history, and now 14 of you uh, know about it. So thank you for listening. Thank you. I hope you have a great week. Great uh, great Hanukkah if you celebrate Hanukkah. Great Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. Uh, and and uh, um, a happy Kwanzaa if you celebrate Kwanzaa. So I'll be talking to you all, uh, you cheapos, uh, after the holidays on the 27th. But for you... Um, you few, you proud, the Marines of Patreon that follow me on Patreon, you're going to get uh, multiple doses of content uh, before the next episode of the Righteous Brick Podcast. So thank you. Thank you one and all. Have a great week. Be merry or be uh, mashugana or be uh, be black and proud. Whatever, whatever you're doing for your for your holiday, do it. Do it. Do it till you're satisfied. And I will see you next Tuesday.